Gracious God, for generations your word has brought love and life to your people. Speak to us now, we pray that we may hear, and in hearing we may be transformed. Amen. First reading today is from Genesis chapter 24, verses 34 to 38, 42 to 49, and uh, 58 to 67. And now the word of God. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become wealthy. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and he gave, has given him everything that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house, to my kindred, and get a wife for my son. I came today to the spring, and I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if, you, if now you will only make successful the way I am going, I am standing here by the spring of water. Let the young woman who comes out to draw, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink. And I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will also water your camels. So I drank, and she watered the camels. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and I whispered the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to obtain the daughter from my master's, of my master's kinsman for a son. Now then, if you will deal loyally and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so that I may turn either to the right hand or to the left. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will. So they went away, sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse along with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, O sister, become thousands of myriads. May your offspring gain possessions of the gates of their foes. Then Rebekah and her maids rose up, mounted the camels, and followed the man, the servant, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahoroi and was settled in the Negev. Isaac went out in the evening to walk the field, and looking up he saw camels coming. And Rebekah looked up, and when she saw Isaac, she slipped quickly from the camel and said to the servant, Who is the man over there walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Holy wisdom, holy word.
Our second reading is much shorter and perhaps more familiar. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. These words are trustworthy and true. Thanks be to God. Paula Darcy was a therapist, a spiritual director, an author, and she said, God comes to you disguised as your life. I've always liked that. Because I don't know about you, but I've never seen the Red Seas part. Never prayed for someone and then had them miraculously healed, though I, I wish that they would. For the most part, discerning God's fingerprints in our lives doesn't involve the fantastic. Rather, it involves seeing the divine in the mundane events of our lives. Last fall, I was blessed to participate in Credo, which is a wellness program that the Presbyterian Church puts on for clergy. And the whole experience was just wonderful. And one night I got to have dinner with the director of our retreat, Sharon, and she asked me how it is that I came to be a Presbyterian pastor. And I told her the whole story. Said it didn't come easy, that's for sure. It's a story of theological conversion, struggle, despair, perseverance, and finally, homecoming. And at the end of my story, Sharon said something that has stuck with me. She said that if she considers her own life as a journey, when she looks ahead of her, the path is full of twists and turns such that she can't see very far. But when she looks behind her, the path behind her is straight, leading her to exactly where she is. I wonder if you can relate to that image. And when we look to the future, it is difficult to see where God is leading us, if God is leading us at all. But as you look back on your life, you might be able to see signs of God's providence. Perhaps it is only in retrospect that you can discern God's faithfulness, love, and guidance that has brought you to where you are today. Now, if it's true that God comes to us disguised as our lives, then how do you recognize when God is present? Well, our story from Genesis today is all about how God leads ordinary people through mundane choices in life, revealing what John Calvin said of this passage, that here nothing is superfluous. Now, last week's reading in Genesis was anything but mundane, as Abraham faced a crisis of faith when God called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in that story, God speaks and intervenes, while in today's reading, God says and does nothing. And yet is still at the top of mind of these characters as they navigate their lives. Now, you may have noticed that our reading kind of started halfway through, which means you missed a bunch of background. Let me fill you in a bit. Sarah has died. 
And Abraham is nearing the end of his life as well. And Abraham's heir, Isaac, has no wife. And this is a problem because God's promise to Abraham is that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars and that they would go on to bless all the families of the earth. And none of this can happen if Isaac doesn't have children. So Abraham sends his trusted servant to go on a journey back to Abraham's extended family and find a wife for Isaac. Now, why Isaac doesn't go himself, it's not specified. Isaac's own son Jacob would make the same journey to find his wife a few years in the future. So why Isaac doesn't, why Isaac doesn't go is a mystery. In fact, Isaac is such a passive character in Genesis that some of the rabbis have wondered if he was developmentally disabled. Perhaps he was. Now, before the servant leaves, he tells Abraham his concern. He says, even if I find a suitable wife for Isaac, is she going to be willing to marry someone that she's never met? And Abraham assures him that Yahweh would send his angel ahead of the servant and that Yahweh would make the journey successful. It seems that at this point in his life, Abraham's wavering faith that has gone up and down throughout his life and is now resolved. He now knows that when God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. And so the servant departs along with ten camels and all kinds of gifts. He makes his way to the city of Nahor, to a well. Now, wells in the Bible, you might recall, are the meeting place for lovers. Jacob will meet Rachel at the same well a few chapters later. Moses meets his wife, Zipporah, at the well. Jesus meets the woman at the well. Wells are the biblical place for romance. And our reading picks up here, where the servant prays that God would lead a woman to both offer him water and then go on to water his camels as well. That's a pretty risky prayer, right? I don't know if any of you have ever tried to make this kind of a bargain with God, asking for some clear and certain sign. It's not something I recommend. But in this case, it works. And even before he's done praying, Rebecca shows up and offers the servant water, and then proceeds to water the camels, all ten of them. And so what do we know about Rebecca? Well, we know the text says she's beautiful. We know that she's from the right family. And apparently she's jacked. Because gathering 250 to 300 gallons of water yourself, like, you don't do that if you don't got a little, uh, little muscle where it counts. How many of you would or could fetch 250 to 300 gallons of water for a stranger? Not many of us, I'm guessing. Adrian would. Good for you, yes. <laughs> but there is a, a generosity, a super abundance to this act. It reminds me of Abraham, as we saw a few weeks ago, greeting the three strangers at his tent. And he says, why don't I offer you a little morsel of bread? And then proceeds to make this lavish feast. It reminds me of Jesus at the wedding at Cana when they run out of wine and then providing more wine than anyone could possibly drink. This, this superabundance, it points us to God's grace. See, God doesn't just tolerate you. 
and provide mere table scraps. No, God pours out divine blessings on you beyond what you could ask or imagine. And so in her abundant generosity to this stranger, Rebecca shows herself to be the kind of person that God is looking for. So if God comes to you disguised as your life, where do you see God's presence? Generosity from other people is one of the best places to look. When have you received gifts above and beyond what you could ever expect? Carla Mavis was the clerk of session at my previous church, Circleville Presbyterian. And she was the best gift giver that I have ever known. And I've had some good gift givers in my life. And when Carla gave you a gift, it wasn't about the money that she spent. It was about the way that she could find a gift that meant something so profound to you. My office is full of gifts from Carla that I treasure. I look at them and I think, what could I possibly have done to deserve these gifts? And while Carla died far too young, I'm so glad that I knew her. Because God came into my life disguised as Carla Mavis. Who are the people who've been generous with you? What if those gifts also came from God? Generosity is one of the ways that God shows up in our life, but there are many other ways as well. God also shows up in the hospitality of strangers. Rebecca proceeds to invite this servant to stay with her family, and immediately he receives it as a gift from God, and he bows his head in worship. See, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, Hospitality to strangers is one of the clearest signs of God's presence. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. How we treat strangers is how we treat God. And at some point in our lives, all of us have been strangers. Who made space for you? The book of James says every good and perfect gift comes from God. If that's true, then God has been present in every good gift that you have received from other people, whether it's been through generosity or hospitality. But of course, there is one way that God shows up in our lives above all others, and that is through love. By the end of our reading, Rebecca returns with Abraham's servant and Isaac took her to be his wife, and Genesis says he loved her. Now, that may not seem like much, but this is the first time in the Bible where one person is said to love another. I think that's significant. We're never told that Abraham loves Sarah. Doesn't mean that he didn't, but we are told that Isaac loves Rebekah. And in the patriarchal world from which the Bible emerges where women are property, 
or slavery was a given. We're right to ask ourselves, in such a world, is love even possible? Because if there is one thing we know about love, it's that it must be free. Love that is under compulsion is not love at all. And throughout the history of our world, marriage relationships between parties that are on equal footing, that that has been a rare arrangement indeed. And while I don't think that we can see Isaac and Rebecca as equals in marriage by our modern standards, I do take great comfort that when asked, will you go with this man, Rebecca replies, I will. That she has agency over her own life. She is not forced into this relationship. She consents. Consent is at the heart of all true love. Because love must be free. So God comes to us disguised as the people who have loved us freely. Who are the people in your life who have loved you not because they had to, but because they wanted to? That's the presence of God in your life. For as 1 John says, love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For God is love. Many years after Isaac and Rebekah, there was another servant who was sent by God on a far journey into this world to demonstrate the depths of God's generosity, hospitality, and love. And that servant's name was Jesus. And he invites us into a relationship of covenant love between God and humanity. And God was under no compulsion to show you this love, but instead does it freely and completely. And this divine gift of love is given to you whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not. And you are free to respond to that love. And it is given to you so that you yourself might be free then to live with generosity and hospitality and love, that you yourself might become a disguise of God's presence in the lives of other people, that freely you have received. Now freely give. Let's pray.